0: This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within twenty four hours. So if you're a podcast want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's p o d g o dot c o. That's Podgo dot c o. And be sure to enter our name in the "How did you hear about Podgo?" section of the application. See you guys in the episode.
1: the language of the universe.
0: But I don't understand it.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Math & Physics podcast. I'm your host, Parker.
0: And I'm Ray, and we welcome you to episode number 68, where today we have special guest John from epic math time so john maybe you want to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners here today
2: well my name is john from epic math time yep so on, on my channel what i like to do is i like to express myself as creatively as possible about whatever i find interesting in mathematics so whenever i first started i kind of had like ideas that i wanted to do but i was very limited To what I could actually create and just over time I started really getting into like the graphic design and the video editing and now I feel like I'm really like unlimited in how I can express these topics so I that's why I really like making videos it's just an unlimited form of expression and I really think that video learning is is going to be a big part of the future for sure really do.
1: Yeah, I also noticed that you put like exercises for the the viewers at the end of your videos, which yeah, are which are yeah. definitely awesome, right? Because you know most of the learning is in applying what you what you. Yeah, actually yeah, learn. it's in doing. Yeah. yeah, that's that's
2: right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, that's really important to me. I really like to to give um exercises that build off what was covered, or maybe allow people to um. Express their thoughts Mm -hmm. for the topic in a certain way, and you know it it drives some um some interactions in the comments, which I like. So yeah, that's something I always try to do. I don't always put them, but if I can think of something good,
1: I Mm -hmm. always do it. And do you think of them yourself, or do you like see some questions online, and you're like, oh, that's a good?
2: Uh, good Oh no, I always think of them myself.
1: But some
2: sometimes I think of the exercises before I think of the video. So like so like I think of exercises. Some, just random things that kind of like to me. shape
0: your video around it, like that's yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. kind of nice. That's kind of nice. Yeah. That kind of sounds yeah. cool. Like thinking yeah. about the problem before it, how to explain right. it. That 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 must be nice. Well, I mean, we're definitely gonna dive into, dive into what Epic Math Time is and you know where it is because I think like especially with the as you were mentioning the graphics, gotten so crazy, especially <laughs> after that whole new revamp, it's gotten crazy. So like yeah. real props to you. So like we're gonna get Thank into you. it, but uh, before let's get into some news. For sure, let's get into the comment of the week okay so for today's comment of the week we got Cosmo cube and um, they say love this kind of content thank you
1: thank you so much Keeping it plain and
0: simple thank you <laughs> Cosmo cube for that wonderful comment as always if you want to be you know featured in this quick segment of comment of the week, all you have to do is comment, and, and uh, you know, like just a random pick, really, and uh, you can be featured in the comment of the week section.
1: Definitely, pretty cool. So, in terms of downloads this week, we are now up to one hundred and fifty-five thousand downloads over all Ooh. platforms. So, thank you, everybody who's been listening to the podcast, downloading the podcast, and sharing. Um, I think now we're at like ten point four thousand in yeah, comparison. Ten, we're, we're, we're at ten and a half yeah, thousand yeah, Right, awesome. we literally hit. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: We hit 10,000 so recently, and we're mm-hmm. already at 10,500. And that's on like, Spotify. Um, that's on Spotify only, yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, make sure to it's follow cool. the podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe on YouTube where you can actually see our faces. The, yep. the only place we post the videos on YouTube. So, if you want to go check it out, mm-hmm. definitely go there, subscribe, and like, and all of that stuff.
0: Or go to Instagram, math.physics.podcast, where you can also see our faces, our clips, our thumbnails, all our updates posted there first and only. So, go check it out. And for that, for that wink wink giveaway, that's happening soon. (laughs) Don't worry, it's still in the making. We haven't forgotten about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to come. It's just... A lot of preparation for that. Even though, like, we're hyping it up so much, it's not gonna be that hype. <laughs> but we're—it's obviously the very first one. It's gonna be crazy, like for us at least. So just bear with us. And uh, yeah, that's the news of the podcast. Maybe we can get into it now. Cool. So, John. So, usually in these in these episodes with any guest, we have kind of a classic way of starting them with uh, what I like to call the classic question: to ask you, "How did you get into your respective field?" So, John, how yeah. did you get into well, math. Like, what was yeah, that
2: so, spark? Um, when I was really young, like a kid, like, you know, five or six years old, I was really into math. You know, and the, the most a kid like that could be into math. And, uh, I, I guess, like, elementary school kind of crushed that out of me because I didn't care about math at all by the time I was in high school. Zero. Wow. Zero percent care. None. I graduated high school, didn't care about math, uh... Went to college, didn't know what I wanted to do. Oh, wow. Oh, I, I, I wasn't sure if, like, I cut out or oh, no. something. No, 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 reacted. I'm just surprised. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No. Math and then, oh, this is this, this is common, are. by the way. This is common. Um, Yeah, that's right. So, high school, I didn't care about math. Went to college with no notion of what I wanted to do. So, I still didn't know anything. Then, after a couple years of just, like, drifting through college i decided i wanted to major in physics Hmm. so i had to switch to a different university and major in physics and that's what i did and then i had to uh i I got to the point where i was doing labs and uh i hated labs you see i really liked physics but i don't want to actually like do it (laughs) i just want (laughs) to you know i just want to think about it and solve problems but like doing the labs no and I, i was double majoring in math at this point and then i just switched to just math and that's what ended up getting my uh, bachelor's degree in, but yeah, it was, it was a, uh, it was a long time for me to, for me to like rediscover that thing that I liked when I was a kid. Like I didn't see calculus until I was like, I was probably like twenty years old when I first saw wow. calculus. So yeah, definitely late to the party, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to make up. for And it. Uh, what kind
1: of <laughs> courses did you take when you initially got into college?
2: Initially college or initially like math college, college before math Ooh, i don't know man that was in 2008 <laughs> so uh just you know the 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 standard introductory stuff my, my major i think was business administration okay. for a while and then it was i don't even know i switched majors so many times mm-hmm. so it
0: was something basically that you took ba- just simply because you had to take it not something yeah not because, yeah okay. that's right yeah, So it was kind of like right. okay so then where did that so that physics thing came from where? Because you said you just switched uh, to physics. Where did it? Like, where did that? Yeah, that's pretty yeah big, it was big, big jump. You know, from economics
2: or something. I think that I always kind of had an interest in that sort of stuff, and it just it's, it's hard to explain, man. It's like, it never occurred to me that I could just study that in school, (laughs) you know, it's, it's hard to explain, but like, I guess one day I had that realization. I think a a little bit of it is that, you know, it's intimidating to go into physics or math or a field like that instead of something more, more normal. Cause like, I didn't know anyone that was doing Mm -hmm.
1: that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And do you still like, are you still interested in like the theoretical side of physics? or oh yeah absolutely okay.
2: yeah I, I mean i don't know much about it mm-hmm. i mean you know comparatively I'm, I'm not i i don't know as much as you know a physics major For sure. yeah an undergraduate physics major i know a bit um it, mainly
0: things i'm interested in
2: and how it connects
0: to math mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of stuff you you spoke about like you know non-science courses like very like right now as as normal <laughs> and i'm really <laughs> really intrigued by that because as i I think i can classify you as a teacher right like as a teacher is that is that that a correct because because i guess i mean you 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 educationally you teach on youtube i assume so as a teacher like what is your stance on like kids thinking like students thinking that these courses are like you know not normal like is there a reason for that or is there just like a like a fundamental notion that prevents people from going into the math and science because a lot of people you know, skip out math and science just because they're like, oh, it's too hard or, oh, I can get more, you know, real life out of something else. Not really knowing this, you know, still severe implications of where math and physics can take them. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So I think a large part of this is that math for sure is kind of mischaracterized as a subject. There's There's an essay by... By a mathematician named Paul Lockhart, called a mathematician's lament, and he basically argues that math is more of an art than a uh, than, a, than, than a, a hard subject. You know, math is not mm-hmm. a rule-bound subject. That's a total. Mm-hmm. That's a wrong stereotype. Math is a very creative subject. So the fact that it has some uses and applications kind of sucks because it makes people treat it like this <laughs> this useful, rigid, rule-bound thing when it's really more like an artistic expression when you get down mm-hmm. to it. So I, I think it's I think a the problem with it is that it's kind of sitting in, in this line, and its true nature is like more of an art form. You know, it's like a poetry of ideas, but then at the same time, it's taught into this. It's taught as this this rigid, applied, rule bound thing. It's like fitting a square peg in a round hole, mm-hmm. or whatever. However, <laughs> that expression goes. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not to say anything against applying math. It's just that. In the book, he says, uh, Paul Lockhart says, um, music has been used to, to, to lead armies, but that's not why people write yeah. music, you know? And they don't say, oh, this is going to, some people are going to march to this one day. <laughs> this is not what yeah. they're doing, you know?
1: And one thing that is super interesting to me, and I've done this before, is go and ask people who don't do like higher level math, right? They kind of stopped that before calculus and things like that and ask them what do you think like graduate degree mathematicians do? And their answers may surprise you <laughs> because like to, to us, we're like, oh, you know, it's more like abstract stuff, whatever. But to people who haven't like who who stopped at like high school math, they think it's just like harder operations. Like you just keep learning harder yeah. operations and then you just keep solving problems. But it's really like, it's really so different, so incredibly different. Yeah, I, I think that that I, I I think that never really ends. You
2: don't know what you don't know. So when you try to you know imagine what the progression, you, you tend to um, take what you know and just complicate yeah. it. So like, yeah, like if you ask a kid about this, they'll probably think it's big numbers, <laughs> right? Yeah. Calculations with really big sure. numbers. But but if you ask someone that's like. In calculus, they might think it's really hard derivatives or something, you know. Like, I don't think that this necessarily stops. Mm. And then, even for myself, like, what a what a modern you know abstract algebra researcher is doing, I I probably can't really imagine exactly what they're doing. Maybe I could total like sort of get a hang of it if I read into what they were doing, but it would take a while. It's just I can't really imagine where the field is going
1: mm-hmm.
2: without without knowing about it first. Yeah, you know? and
1: what mm. kind of sucks is that. It's so like every every branch of math is so like specific that it's like mm-hmm. especially at like the the cutting edge you know part where like research is being done and things like that, you can't really know something about everything or like deeply understand something about everything. So you kind of just have to pick and choose and then mm-hmm. kind of you know you can do some reading, I guess, but it, you'll never really be like understanding, as much as the pros that are especially especially
0: with like undergrad level math like i mean being first first first-handed experience like we know that second-year mathematics even like at the same level of first-year mathematics that we took is basically first-year mathematics just like very very more abstract taken to a multi-variable level right So Mm -hmm. as you were giving that example of that high school student or whatever, stopping after calculus or before he really knows anything and he's thinking about these numbers. Like, yeah, we're also doing a very similar thing and just taking it to, okay, let's do the same thing that we did this year. But just as you were mentioning, like kind of complicate it further and see what happened if we make it even more abstract. So Mm -hmm. I guess I guess the thing here is, well, how much more can you complicate it? Right. Like a simple. I guess I guess I guess you we're still know. finding out, but maybe John, maybe this is a question more apt for you. Like, how much more can a function? I guess I guess this is a very abstract question, very very vague question. I'll, I'll try, I'll try. But like, what is the level of complication that we can really go to? You know, like being a, you know, being a graduated math student. Like, is there more complicated math specifically? So, so I can I can try
2: to answer what like, what you're used to and how that gets complicated, yeah. but also I want to point out that people will often say that math is, like, it builds upon itself, and it's, like, this linear progression. That's totally not true, okay? Like, for a math major, like, you'll probably know a lot of math majors, but after you take, like, the calculuses and then, like, a, a, a proof introduction class, the calculuses are mainly to give you, you know, some sort of mathematical maturity, but after you learn how to write proofs, it's just a branch, a branching, you know, you get topology, abstract True. algebra, this, that, this, that, and the other thing. And you can take one and have no idea about the other, and it doesn't matter. Like, they don't, I mean, knowing one will help the other, but it's not always a progression of complication. Now, when it comes to calculus, y'all are in multivariable calculus, so <clears throat> let me think functions can get a lot more complex in the sense that they don't need to be functions of you know just real numbers or sets of real numbers Functionals. and yeah and calculus in general so calculus can be done or an abstraction of calculus can be done on a lot of different types of mathematical structures they're called uh, manifolds so r2 the real number the real plane would be an example of a manifold but you know, if you, you can think about the surface of a sphere, also known as a sphere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a sphere is only the surface, but mm-hmm. that's a manifold that you can do similar things on. So it's not all it's not always about just complicating things. And in fact, to some degree, it's about simplifying things. And when whenever you abstract something, you're really kind of simplifying it in a certain sense.
0: I guess that is the other way. I guess that is a nice way to look at it. Like, it's not really complicating it. In fact, so by by going into the more abstract, you're actually simplifying it. Yeah, that's a I nice think, way so. to think about it. yeah,
2: so a- another thing is that some people might think of things that are abstract as not having any um, application, but mm-hmm. that's not true because whenever you make something abstract, what you're doing is you're kind of removing the superficial details from it, okay. So when you do that, and you have this abstract creature, it's like, oh, what is this even talking about? Well, it's talking about whatever is modeled by that situation. I always think of, y'all know um, Lex Friedman? Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: of course.
2: Okay, so I always think of a conversation between Grant, 3Blue1Brown, uh, yeah. and Lex Friedman, where they're talking about higher dimensions. And Lex Friedman, like, great guy, but he seems to be under the impression that dimension has to mean spatial dimension. Mm-hmm. And in this conversation with grant so he mentions um you know higher dimensions maybe being this esoteric thing and grant's like no these can be highly applicable and he's like it's a common misconception that higher dimensional mathematical structures are only applicable to a universe that's that many dimensional Mm -hmm. but that's not true because a dimension the, the math does not care what the dimensions represent so you could think of um take there's there are four macronutrients protein carbs fat and alcohol and you could make a vector space out of those four things that's a four-dimensional vector space and a food is a vector a four-dimensional vector and a diet is a group of vectors and if you want a calorie count that's a linear transformation into the real numbers like the, the math does not care what these things are representing so when things are abstract it means there are a lot of applications anything that can be described by this mathematical structure. It can be applied there. The math does not care when it's abstracted, if that makes yeah, sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And <clears throat> my my physicist brain, you know, when when you like the example that you went into was great, but I was thinking of like um you could have like a a, a vector where it's like it's like x y z the position and then the velocity x y z and then you have like a six dimensional vector, but you know it's still describing something in three dimensions but you you just use these yeah
2: yeah there are three spatial dimensions but yeah. a dimension in in the in the sense that the mathematics is concerned is basically just like a continu- a continuum of values yeah, yeah. kind of you know like pokemon have attack defense special attack special defense and speed so pokemon are five dimensional those are five independent mm-hmm. uh I think that's all their stats. Yeah. Yeah. The math doesn't care if the dimension represents spatial dimensions or the amount of protein and a food. It it doesn't care. So when you abstract it, it no longer cares about the the superficial details. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, abstracting things is, it makes it more applicable to more things because all the superficial details have been, you know, surgically removed.
0: Interesting way to think about it. Damn. That's really an interesting way to think about it. So like... So continuing on this journey of your of your college experience, after your whole physics to double major to pure math uh, change that you did over there, what what after 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 you graduated, what what was the situation then? Um, what was next? Going uh,
2: on? <laughs> I worked a couple jobs and ended up going to grad school for a long time. Uh, and then I put that on hold recently. Uh, grad school's uh tough to stay in for a long time you know you're ready to you're ready to get out eventually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah is grad school a lot of like studying as well or is it mainly just you know as they say just writing papers and stuff like what's the
2: no it's it's a lot of studying that material got material gets way harder really fast like the first year of grad school was like okay then it started to pick up and start to pick up even
1: more. And yeah, it's, uh, it gets, it gets pretty difficult. And did you go to grad school just for math? Yeah. Okay, cool. Any
0: advice cool. for, I don't know, just, just grad school goers, like soon, if anyone is graduating this year, maybe next year from college, any advice to them going into um, grad school?
2: Yeah, I would say, I would say make make solving problems and studying kind of a social event with your other grad students, because it, it's more fun that way. If you're like hashing out problems with each other, you mm-hmm. know, sitting around, you know, cause you know, math, math especially can be a very social thing, you know, you know, we, there's a lot of inside jokes and all yeah. this stuff <laughs> happening with math and there's <laughs> funny stuff. I mean, I'm sure you are aware of that, you okay. know, like, yeah. So I think it's, it's a fun, uh, it's, it's fun whenever you have other people involved with mm-hmm. you. you
1: know? mm-hmm. And here's an interesting question. So, obviously, in elementary school and middle school and all that stuff, m- your math class is just, you know, learning operations and things like that. Do you think that maybe learning, like, proof techniques and maybe, like, set theory, but just, like, obviously very, like, elementary ideas that, like... You learn in college, but maybe it would have been a lot more useful to learn earlier, just so you're kind of comfortable with what math actually becomes later on.
2: Yeah, so first of all, kids in elementary school are certainly capable of learning basic set definitely. theory. I yeah. mean, I think that's definitely true. Um, I, I think this still goes back to the whole mathematics as an art thing, because right now, math is basically designed to be this conveyor belt of how to how to like apply the problems or or solve problems by applying math but it's almost as though if there's a difference between using math and doing math because I think of mathematicians as sort of being like like programmers except their programs are theorems and results and stuff so whenever someone uses the quadratic formula they're using a program but I, I really don't know if i would view that as as doing math i think that's using the program it's like that doesn't programming might be more fun than using microsoft excel i mean you know so it's kind of like there's a distinction between using the final product which are these formulas and these theorems and inventing a problem and, and trying to think your way through it and coming up with a general solution i mean mm-hmm. just the fact that that we can know the roots of a of a quadratic from the coefficients only. That's interesting, but that's just that just just like no, whatever. Here is the formula. It's so
0: done. like using the code versus writing the code is basically yeah exactly. Yeah. So like yeah. writing the code is the whole is the whole in, well yeah. I math, think, I think right. that's actually I think that's actually a bang on explanation <laughs> of what math feels like doing because I have like some experience because like I always like I like to dangle my feet in a little bit of coding here and there and i think like that's that's almost the exact explanation like perfect explanation of how you can describe math to someone else
2: yeah yeah, that's how i feel about it
0: yeah as you were like it's it's perfect because usually people think of math as the programming thing so they think of okay i'm just gonna use things that have already been made what's the point right people get bored of that like why would you learn something if it's already been created 300 years ago and it's just being used like what's the whole point of that but inventing inventing it is the whole new thing mm-hmm. it's just like writing that code yeah you know, that that's point. that's
2: solving the problem if, if there's a and and i don't mean you have to be the first person to discover it i mean an of independent discovery like imagine if you were like learning about derivatives for, for the first time and you would like i wonder if there's a way to get with the product or a function that is of the form of a product of two other functions, what does that derivative look Mm -hmm. like? And maybe you're checking some cases and stuff and like, Oh, it looks like it's this. Can I prove that? And then you end up with the product rule. That's a lot more, that's more mathematical than saying, here's the product rule, apply it 20 times over and over again. Like, you know, that's using the program, but discovering it for yourself and improving it, it's a lot more fun it's less stressful too especially if you don't put a time limit or Mm -hmm. anything you know if you just allow yourself to think about things it's it's less stressful
1: and what changes or like additions uh, like additions to the curriculum or subtractions from uh to like an average like middle school math class
2: yeah i i don't know man I, i i'm not um I'm not gonna presume that I'm qualified yeah, right, to, to, you know, describe how education should be. But I envision, you know, it treated more like an art where where it's it's not treated as this subject that everyone needs to know and, you know, is compulsory to learn all these formulas and stuff. Like I don't see the point of having people having the, the memory of all these formulas that they hate like I don't see what what the point mm. of that is so more exploratory and I try to do that with my students like when I taught geometry I want them to you know discover it's it's fun to get the area of the triangle like the, the formula for it it's fun to see oh if I cut it in half then I rearrange it it's taking up half this square it makes you know that's that's fun and they can draw pictures and all that But the problem I found when I did that is that they're so used to it being taught the other way where like, here's the formula practice, practice, Mm -hmm. practice that they get frustrated with themselves and they don't, they don't feel free to try stuff. If that makes sense. Like I wanted them to just think about it and explore, but they felt, they feel judged if they don't know what to do right Mm -hmm. away. And it's like, it's so procedural in their mind. And uh, I, I guess part of the reason why I have this view of it is because like I told you guys, uh, I did not care about math throughout high school. So I basically, it's almost as though the education I had when I was in grade school didn't stick. So like I only think of math in mm. this way. I, I, I didn't get the procedural it, that didn't stick. So I don't know. It, it, some of it's very bizarre to me when I'm, when I'm teaching and I see how it's normally taught. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it needs to be treated more like an art form
0: especially with youtube like you can definitely you know with today's level of youtube and today's level of reachability like you can really do exactly what you want and show it how you want to show it and then everyone just looks at that exact same thing that you're teaching it's like teaching the world you know instead of teaching three kids and like it's a it's a i mean it might be really nice right like i mean assuming do you get any like you know I guess fan mail or stuff from this, from this, uh, from this, you know, your whole, whole YouTube shebang that you have going, especially now with those upgraded, <laughs> up the whole upgraded studio. Anything. Um, I
2: get emails from people um, asking a lot of questions and stuff. I don't know about like fan mail, but
0: no, like, yeah. Questions like that. Just like, you know, just asking questions about like the topics itself that you might want to yeah. talk about and, you know, stuff like that, because that's, I guess at the end of the day who you're trying to help. Right, are right. like Trying to help, yeah.
2: those people. I get stuff like that, and if, another thing, if you ever go in my comment section, there, are, there are some frequent commenters that I, I, I would. I'm not teaching them. They're at least peers. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 are, they're right. like they, they may be they're very knowledgeable, and they write these these long, very thoughtful comments, and I love that because, like, you know even though I'm the one on the screen and all that, I don't have all the answers. I'm not like, Mm. you know, I'm not like preaching to people. Like, I feel like a a lot of my viewers are peers, you know, at least peers in some Mm. cases. So, I don't know if I would view my my channel as... I'm sure it educates people, but I kind of think of it as more of like a math fan channel. Like, (laughs) you know, just Mm. the stuff that I think is interesting. Yeah. If other people find it interesting and they want to talk about it too, that's cool. But like a lot of other people are doing a great job doing the educational thing and, you know, I, I don't know if that's exactly where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. I th- you know, someone in the comments said I was the PBS space time. <laughs> that was like the the best compliment ever. Yeah. So like wow. that's kind of what I'm going for, you know, no, like but that's PBS pretty valid, space time. I mean,
0: with, with with your goal and looking at the the type of videos that you have, they're kind of sprung around. The, and, you know, very just kind of interesting topics here and there, not like right. a whole Playlist kind of a thing. So like totally, you know, like that. Right. That's, exactly. I mean, you're enjoying it. So why not?
2: Yeah, right? the only challenge. Yeah, that's exactly right. The only challenge is that it's a lot harder to present a math topic in a way that's generally interesting the way it is physics because physics, I mean, you can talk about, you can talk about stars, you can talk about all these physical things, but math, you need a background just to get to the, to the interesting Mm -hmm. part. So that's a, that's a pretty hard challenge to overcome. Like, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the meme where they're, they're talking about how like there's like a chart and it has like physics shows and has like cosmos and has all these <laughs> cool shows and it gets to math and it's just like, the, you know, it's there's the nothing show. for math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The...
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, know. Those are classic. Cause I guess, I guess it is a little, but I guess, I mean, why not? Right. You can start that space. Cause especially with, you know, improving graphics day by day and you know, stuff like that. Like it, it looks like it's going somewhere in positive direction, hopefully. So, you know, good stuff. Well, well, as you were talking clearly, you know, about making math more interactive. Interestingly enough. You, should, you guys should go check out today's sponsor. Brilliant. So brilliant. Interestingly enough, this very month of July, they have made their courses a lot more interactive, their algebra courses, their uh, mathematic fundamental courses, a lot of which we were talking about in today's episode. It has become a lot more interactive so instead of only reading and then you know question answer very similar to the exercises you're now actually interacting with the course and then you're doing that whole exercise part at the end so they've added some pretty cool new features especially with you know kind of today's topics they have some really cool uh courses in linear algebra multivariable calculus that whole shebang so go check it out link in the description below yeah
1: so for the first 200 listeners that go and sign up for their premium membership, they will get 20% off. So make sure to go click that link in the description and, uh, yeah, start learning math. But John, I had a question in my head back when we were talking about your, your school experience and what was your favorite math course that you took?
2: In undergraduate or ever?
1: Undergraduate undergraduate okay um big one
2: i would have to go with i think i would uh, i think i would go with like an introductory topology course you
0: know Hmm. topology course
2: yeah topology because that's a very new concept and uh you know like abstract algebra you know it's abstract algebra but topology is something that like you don't see or you don't know that you're seeing you're seeing it very early on you just don't call it topology you know Mm -hmm. like for example i can give an example so Mm -hmm. a set i've mentioned this on my channel before but like a set okay a set does not have a shape to it a set's just a bag of crap you know so like the real numbers is a set when you draw it as a number line that's the topology of the real numbers Mm -hmm. that's additional information the shape of it Is the topology to some degree it's a little looser than that but sets don't have a shape so whenever you tell a calculus student to draw the the real uh, R2 or you know the Cartesian product of the real numbers the plane the fact that it's a plane that picture is coming from the topology of the set it doesn't come from the set that's just so so these concepts are really always there but taking that to a new level and it's a really a new topic more so than the others, at least among the classes that
1: I took. Mm -hmm. So what were kind of the, some of the groundbreaking, like, topics that you learned in that introductory course? Okay, well, so
2: this one, this might be a little awkward to describe, but so when you have mathematical structures, of different kinds. They're there functions between them that preserve their properties. Okay. Well, like, okay. For like in, um, linear algebra, if you have two vector spaces, a linear transformation is the kind of function we're interested in. Once mm-hmm. topology, the kind of function you're interested in is continuous functions. And what's so cool about that is that that's not a new kind of function. That's a, co- a kind of function that you've always been studying like in calculus and all that. So the fact that topological spaces were The spaces that we were always kind of interested in for a lot of the math we've been doing is really shown by the fact that continuous functions are what preserves topological properties, Mm. if that makes sense. Because continuous functions, I mean, that's everywhere. When you take a a derivative of a function that's continuous or differentiable, it's continuous. You know, these are common concepts. And topological spaces are what those functions are always mapping between.
1: Hmm. When I think of topology, I always think of a torus for some reason.
0: Every time, <laughs> every single time, I knew yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I that's it.
1: a that's a topological
0: space. Yeah, oh. it's the classic. It's that classic uh, thing. Right? Yeah. it's the classic
1: shape. Yeah. So why a torus? Um, I think it's like the coffee mug thing, but that's that's okay, a little so bit overplayed. I do maybe, understand maybe. that. I, I remember watching like the Vsauce video where he does talk yep. about like where you continuously like reshape it. It only has like one how many hole. holes does a human have? Yeah. Something like that is. The oh yeah, video.
2: he tricked a bunch of people into learning topology. <laughs> yeah. Man, I don't think these headphones were designed for my head shape. Yeah. But anyway, oh. so no, a torus is interesting. So mm-hmm. this is this is what I like to say about the Taurus. So think about a two-dimensional video game like Pac-Man, where, where the, the map warps you to the other side. So if you go all the way mm-hmm. to one side, you end up on the other side. And if you go up, you end up on the bottom, mm. right? Well, that's a torus. Topologically, yeah. that's a torus. Think about it. Think about it. You're looping through the top, and you're looping around the side. So you can think, oh, it's a circle this way, and then it loops that way. So you could think of games like Pac-Man as taking place on the surface of a torus. Mm-hmm. You know, the topology doesn't care about the, sh- the shape of it it cares about the fact that oh when you go to this end you end up back over here you go up you end up over here a game like um you know like asteroids or like you know some game where you're in a spaceship and you can go to the side and up here or there and then you're going up all the time that might be like a cylinder or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah th- these 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 are all examples of topological spaces the, the fact that you work to the other side in the game map is is with what determines the topology, not that it's on a 2D screen, yeah. if that makes and sense. And I,
1: I remember learning about, like, just on my own, not in school, about, uh, like, the way you can represent topological spaces with, like, the square with the arrows where you, yep. like, match up That's the right. sides and all that, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. I also, maybe if you can give, like, a little clarification, but I remember learning about uh, the Klein bottle and how mm-hmm. I believe it's a two manifold embedded in 4d space that's right okay Okay. well so um it can be embedded in 4d okay. space that's not like
2: an intrinsic thing about the climb bottle you know what i mean Maybe like you want to explain the about...
0: climb bottle to those who haven't heard it before
2: yeah so, so be the climb points. bottle is a two dimensional manifold and what that means is that if you go to any place on it it looks like a plane okay So, like, any surface is a two-manifold, because if you look at a little spot on it, it looks like a plane, okay? Now, what's interesting about the Klein bottle is that it's non-orientable, like the Mobius band, and it's also closed. Now, so let me make sure I say this in a good way. Whenever a a topological space is closed, that sort of means that it it doesn't have an edge or a border, but at the same time, it... It doesn't continue on forever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to roughly describe this. So think of a plane. That would not be closed because mm-hmm. it goes on forever. But if you think of a sphere, that would be a closed two-dimensional manifold because it doesn't have a border or an edge, and at the same time, it doesn't go on forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there are non-orientable manifolds like the, the Mobius band. Now, the point is that either of those two conditions being non-orientable or closed means that you need one more dimension to embed in Euclidean space. So, what that means is that the Mobius band, can you can you put a Mobius band in two dimensions? So, it is a two manifold, but can you put it in two dimensions? No. You can't, exactly. You need three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Well, the Klein bottle is non-orientable and closed, so we need two more dimensions. Mm-hmm. So, both the Klein bottle and the Mobius band are two manifolds, two-dimensional manifolds, but the Klein bottle needs two more dimensions for Euclidean
0: space to have an embedding. Mm-hmm. And I swear I saw a video of a Klein bottle though. Does that not exist? <laughs> well, so yeah, go ahead.
2: <laughs> uh, I I can I can say um, so you you can't represent a Klein bottle in three dimensions. But you can't. What you can do is what's called an immersion, which is like a, a less strict representation. And what that's going to look like, it's going to look kind of like a climb bottle, but it's going to intersect itself in a place where the actual climb bottle doesn't intersect mm-hmm. itself. Oh, now,
0: that's why it looks like that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. It doesn't actually intersect itself in that spot where it intersects. And a good analogy is is um, if you draw a picture of a cube on a piece of paper, there are going to be lines that intersect that don't actually intersect on a cube. Right? If you think of like the, you know, the normal drawing of a cube, there's going to be lines intersecting that are actually – different sides of the cube mm-hmm. it's kind of like that whenever you take that climb bottle into three dimensions it's kind of like you're drawing a picture of it
0: mm-hmm.
2: in, a, in a space that doesn't have enough dimensions so that 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 intersecting itself is just like the cu- the lines of the cube that intersect yeah
0: so just to make it look like a 3d thing even though it really isn't right you're forcing
2: mm-hmm. it to intersect itself yeah and it, the same thing it goes
1: out. with the mobius strip like you can't draw a mobius strip and it be like the actual thing right because Exactly. It's just going to look yeah, like a exactly. like the lines just crisscross. No, that's that's
2: a perfect yeah. analogy. We can't we can't mm-hmm. can't take the Klein bottle to three dimensions. We can't take the Mobius band to two dimensions. Exactly. Yeah, but it's
1: a fun like mathematical object to own, <laughs> you know. Yeah, definitely. I, oh, for I, sure. I one. I need to get one. Yeah, I, <laughs> for sure. I actually... even,
0: even the Klein bottle is like a classic thing, in my opinion. Like you know, the even though I guess as as now I just learned it unfortunately does not exist in these three dimensions. But, uh, well, so increasing in topology here, like do we, I'm assuming we see a lot of linear algebra embedded into a lot of these higher dimensional abstract math topics, right?
2: Well, um, or I'm does sure it that, kind of
0: lack as you, uh, so I'm, I'm sure that happens, but
2: I, I actually think of it more in terms of abstract algebra. I think I'm more familiar with connecting topology to abstract algebra and, you know, I can, talk to talk talk about um what groups are in a second but Mm -hmm. with with, topological spaces can be associated to to groups you know for each topological space it has what's called a fundamental group so we take the topological space and we associate to it this group that allows us to say things about the topological space Mm -hmm. and uh it's always nice to transform problems from other fields into abstract algebra problems because it's a pretty uh Yes, neat subject. It's very organized and structured, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I can tell y'all what a group is if you all For want to. Sure. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah. Let's hear it. So, all so. Hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna mainly talk about finite groups, but mm-hmm. so all a group is, you got a set, and you have a binary operation. That just means you know an operation. You take two things and it spits out one thing, like addition. That's a binary operation. So, um. It has to be associative, there have to be inverses, and there has to be an identity element. So, for example, the real numbers with addition, that's a group. Addition's associative. There's an identity, zero, and there are inverses. Every number has a negative. So it's a very abstract-sounding thing. Well, an example of a finite group is the symmetries of an object. So let me see if we can see my phone. I've been doing a lot of hand gestures that cannot be seen. (laughs) So, so the the symmetries of my phone, you know, I can do this, I can do this, and I can do this. All those things together, if I combine them all into a set, that's a group under the operation of combining to, to um, two of those
0: symmetries. By the way, for those listeners, it was a quick rotation on all three axes, <laughs> which was what kind of what, what. Oh what yeah. Yeah, cause, black cause we have mugs. a lot of listeners so they might have not been able to see oh, this this and this. <laughs> right, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: totally forgot about that. Whoops.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm just
2: I'm just, you know, moving my phone around in a way that doesn't change its position basically. Mm-hmm. So at first it seems like that's a very specific kind of group, you know, oh the symmetries of an object, that's a group. Well, it turns out that every group is isomorphic so basically every group is the same as a subgroup of a symmetry group and all all that means ultimately is that every group excuse me every group can be considered to be a group of matrices okay that makes sense like a group of matrices under matrix multiplication every group every finite group can be represented that way and like okay so what well you guys have taken linear algebra Mm -hmm. right so what does a, a matrix represent in linear algebra? Uh, linear transformation. Exactly, it's a linear transformation. So if I take any group, I can think of that as a bunch of linear transformations. So in a certain sense, every group is describing the symmetries of something. Because if I look at a set in that vector space that's invariant, Oh, I should have said square matrices. They're all square matrices. Because okay. <laughs> they need to be invertible. Yeah, they need yeah. to be invertible. So uh, think of a vector space uh, a function from a vector space into itself. So every group can be represented as a group of these, these matrices. So if you think of a set in the vector space that's invariant under all of those transformations, the group is describing all of the symmetries of that set. Does oh. that make sense?
1: Okay, yeah. So I'm I'm thinking so, about like like the rotation matrices and all that that's stuff. An, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. what was in my head.
2: Right, exactly. So, <clears throat> if you just think of a, a, a set lying in your in your vector space, and if I apply all of those matrices to it, and the set maps to itself, mm-hmm. then it's invariant under that linear transformation. Then that object that set is its symmetries are being described by that group. So it turns out that every single group, despite the fact that it's just this abstract thing, you know, it's a set with an operation, all of them are describing the symmetries of something.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: you know, how complicated the group is can determine um, what dimension vector space you need to have this object being symmetrical. So, for example, um, what about modular arithmetic? Y'all, are, y'all looked at that a little Not bit? Not really. No. Not okay. Really.
0: Nope so
2: the the most simple group besides uh, the trivial group of one thing is um, a group where you have say we have uh, let's say we have zero and one that's our only objects okay um, zero is the identity one plus one is zero you know one plus zero is zero, is one mm-hmm. so it's a very simple group well you might ask what are the symmetries Or what object is that the symmetries of? And it would be a line, right? Because a line, an infinite line, what can you do? You can do one thing. You can either leave it alone or you can reflect Mm it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you reflect it twice, you're back to the identity. So that's like 1 plus 1 equals 0 in this group. Well, flip plus flip is you back where you started. So every single group like that is describing the symmetries of something. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's the
0: idea behind these groups. Yeah, y'all have heard of the monster group, right? Yeah.
1: I don't quite remember yeah, exactly what it is, but i watched the three blue I... one brown video on it. Yeah, he did a great yeah. job in that video. So, um, yeah,
2: the the idea is that, okay, first of all, the monster group comes from this special class of groups called simple groups, finite simple groups. And it's, it's the largest uh, in this category called sporadic groups. And none of that matters that much. It's just the fact that this group exists, so, like I said, it must be describing the symmetries of something, mm-hmm. right? So, what is this, this giant group describing the symmetries of? And I don't really know. I, I, I've read about it, but I don't know what it's talking about. But it's related to some some operator that I think is involved in strength theory. Whoa. So
1: it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah.
2: So, it's like if you look up monstrous moonshine or something like that, it'll talk about it. But, you know, every group is, is the... Uh, is describing the symmetries of something which is kind of interesting because it comes from this, this very abstract thing it's just a set with an operation and it's not clear why this is describing symmetries of stuff but they all are finite groups but what's at the least.
0: purpose of something like this so
2: so that means that whenever you're studying group theory you're kind of studying the whole concept of symmetry at once so one place this might be applied is in chemistry because the orientation of of molecules you know Mm -hmm. that's important chirality all that stuff that's all group theory you know they'll have chemistry majors doing stuff with character tables which is ultimately something from group theory so anything where symmetry is involved it's it's group theory Mm -hmm.
1: and the for some reason i was thinking about like like vector spaces and subspaces. Is it a thing where you have like a group and a subgroup? Yep. Okay.
2: Absolutely. And it's and and it's pretty much the identical concept. Yeah and you know, if you have a set that's closed under the binary operation. So for example, if I can give another example, uh the natural numbers with addition, that's a group. Mm-hmm. A subgroup of that would be the even natural right. numbers. Because you add two evens, that's another yep. even. the odds would not be one because the identity is gone zero is the additive identity and it's not odd so that's not a Mm. subgroup
1: and okay also and also to sorry go ahead would the like let's say you have just like a simple group that you know like you can you can kind of say like okay it represents the symmetries of this uh object and then there's a subgroup of that group would the Objects be related in some way?
2: Yes, that is a beautiful question. That's a really good question, dude. That is a great question. Yeah. So I have a good example. Um, but I'm I think I forgot the details. There's a certain group called, I think it's S five, and it's, I think it's S five. But basically, you know, it's not defined to be the symmetries of anything. But it turns out it's the symmetries of an icosahedron, mm-hmm. and one of its subgroups a three-dimensional icosahedron, and w- one of its subgroups are the symmetries of the shadow of the oh, icosahedron. Wow. so yeah so yeah no you're your exactly right that that's right yeah they're they're going to be related when you have a subgroup it's it's you know a subgroup it, it means it's a piece of those symmetries it's some of those symmetries mm-hmm. so it's describing maybe a simpler object like you know the shadow yeah. of the, the icosahedron. that's behavior. awesome but, yeah that's right
0: that's awesome yeah so shadow as in like you can also mathematically think of it as projection right yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you can even yeah. apply it there. That's pretty cool. So how these yeah. all these elements are are related? So uh, you were talking. So a fundamental idea in group theory, as you were talking about, is are these binary operators that connect them, right? Are the ones that are able to satisfy the whole group identity? Mm-hmm. And in your most recent video, I think I think this was a question long time coming that you might have suspected in your very most recent video in your that the new binary operator the new operator Mm -hmm. that you had found quote unquote the power log maybe you want to talk a little bit because i thought that was a super cool video i don't know if you're the first one to ever think of that because i couldn't find anything like this online No,
2: i I, I was i I, what so what i do is whenever i have i have an idea like that i do not try to find it because if i end up finding it it just kind of takes the steam out you know, right ta- but it, i couldn't it, it just, so i
0: I'm, i strongly yeah. believe that's a you idea
2: <laughs> i was able to find it oh. there's not oh. a lot about it um i was able to find it after I, you know i started looking it up it was hard to find it because i didn't know what it was actually called yeah you know? uh, but yeah so you wrote the commut- code
0: and then found similar code <laughs> is what you did yeah yeah right? that's right okay, so that's they're called stuff.
2: the commutative hyper operations and they were presented by. Uh, a mathematician i think that i never heard of he doesn't have a wikipedia page in like 1915 but it's not talked about much but yeah uh so what was your question about it sorry (laughs) yeah
0: so yeah so i would just so we were talking about these binary operators that connect Mm -hmm. these groups so i just want and and you said the word binary operator and it made me think of this in your latest video so maybe just a quick intro on what power logs are because i think those are they're like Again, your content is yeah. really cool. And more importantly, I think how they connect to group theory because that was my major question. But again, for the people that probably haven't heard of power logs, you might want to yeah. give a short yeah, description. Yeah,
2: I totally made up that word. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So I involved
2: ring theory in this, but ring theory is a related subject groups. So it's just there's two operations now, and one of them distributes over the other. So it's like multiplication and addition. But the, the way that happened is that I noticed – you know that logarithm property had like some symmetry to it, so it looked commutative. So I was like, okay, maybe this is a cool operation, and it did all the cool things I wanted it to do. Since it had, we found that it has an identity. We found that there are inverse elements. We we knew it was associative. You know, we showed all the thing, all those, all those things, and you know that makes it a group. If you take the the real numbers or the positive real numbers with the uh, with the power log operation, it is a group, and then. What I was wondering is the fact that it distributes over multiplication made me think, okay, is this operation playing the same role to multiplication as multiplication does to addition? And the way we end up showing that is we show that the ring with addition and multiplication, so you think of this algebraic structure, is isomorphic to the ring of positive real numbers with the power log and multiplication. Now what isomorphic means, it's a fancy word for saying they're the same mathematical object all their differences can be thought of as just completely superficial so i i think of it as like changing the font mm-hmm. you know so like if you have um, let me think of an example so i mean y'all have done isomorphisms in linear algebra and isomorphism is very strong in linear algebra because if you have two vector spaces of the same dimension over the same field they're isomorphic mm-hmm. it basically means that all, all, the only difference between them is that the elements look different mm-hmm. So what we showed is that these two rings are the same that means that that the power log is or you could think of it as two languages and we translate one language to the other the multiplication gets translated to the power log and addition it gets translated to multiplication in a certain mm-hmm. sense so that that confirms that the that they're exactly the same relative to one another
1: but you do still have to translate like the real numbers to the positive real numbers in order for it to work. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a very
0: powerful, powerful tool, the power log. So the, I think one thing though, that uh, you you kind of missed in the explanation is the whole, the whole big thing. I mean, obviously we're actually going to probably link the description, the the video below for those who want to go and watch it. But the biggest thing with the whole power log is that it is, the multiplication what it is to addition right with that oh. whole and and x and it kind of it kind of takes exponentiation's place almost yeah yeah which so is what so, you kind of wanted it to do
2: yeah so in a certain sense it, it takes exponent exponentiation's place like i was kind of being hyperbolic like exponentiation is is the next tier up for multiplication <laughs> in the normal sense but this is still the next tier up for multiplication a different sense but yeah this new operation is the next step up in the sense that it is, it is exactly to multiplication as multiplication is to addition. It's exactly the same. You know? So it's the exact same algebraic relationship preserved. And one of my exercises was, okay, we can get this new operation by sort of so kind of going in the opposite order. We ended up finding this isomorphism with e to the x is like the translator code, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so we can use this function to get the new operations. So can we take the natural log? You know, that's e to the x going the other way can we get negative tier operations and you you can if you go natural log and you just keep carrying the operation that way you can get the negative one tier operation you know that's below addition and what i found is that if you take this limit like if you, you keep bringing the operation down it turns into the max operation so it just tells you the maximum real number out of the two real numbers you enter because oh. maximum is another Binary operation, yeah. So that's like the negative infinity
1: infinityth operation in the sequence is max of a and b. Is there a reason, or that's just how that's just why what happens when you go all the way down? The reason is that
2: we we keep applying this map over and over and over again, and what it's doing is that we have like we have the exponential nested inside a bunch of times. So when we input these two values one of them is they're both going to blow up but the fact that the fact that it's a bunch of exponentials means that whatever difference there is it's going to be super magnified mm-hmm. you know what i mean like if you take if you have e to the x you know and you and you look at you, you plug in 2 to it and you plug in 8 to it that's going to magnify the difference right the difference is going to be much bigger than the difference between 2 and 8 one of them is going to be you know moderately large number one of them is going to be a huge right. number mm-hmm. and you keep doing that so it's, it's changing the difference so much between these two numbers so that one of them basically becomes irrelevant and the other one's blown up out of control but then you have a bunch of natural logs and outside so it just it just wipes it wipes it all out and brings it back down after making one of them irrelevant that's kind of what's going on so so in the
1: limit it just reduces it right back to just the the biggest one
2: yep that's
1: right yeah in the limit yeah.
2: Hmm. Wow, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, beautiful. I thought it was. I thought it was cute. <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of. And
1: cute. I'm guessing if you go the other way, it just goes to infinity.
2: I, I didn't see anything happening, and some cometers, um, some cometers solve that. And it it seems to be that it doesn't do anything oh. interesting. Like in the other direction, it just it doesn't. It, in other words, it doesn't approach anything. It just keeps kind of like blowing up out mm-hmm. of control, mm-hmm. in a certain way. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Well, yeah, that's basically, uh, (laughs) that's basically, I think all the major, major discussion topics that we had. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, I, I learned a lot about group theory today.
0: I think so. I think so. (laughs) So I
1: I mean, I'm, I'm definitely more interested in, you know, excited to get into, you know, higher math topics now hmm.
0: oh wait y'all
1: y'all are physics yeah, majors yeah. right so yeah.
2: okay let me let me let me explain this was adorable this is a cool little link between group theory and um uh, and physics so so you know how in, in special relativity there's a certain way that velocities add mm-hmm. yeah. y'all have learned special relativity yeah, stuff yeah yeah so the speed of light plays a certain role right it, it the role that it plays, let me just, let me try to uh, gather my thoughts on how I want to say right. this. So if you look, if you look at, if you look at all of the possible speeds from minus C to C, just think of where are in one dimension and this way is a speed, that way is a speed. So we're looking at the set of real numbers from negative C to C, whatever C is. It's playing the role of the speed of light. And we use that velocity addition formula. Okay. That's a group. Okay. We have a velocity addition formula with some real numbers. Well, that group is isomorphic to the real numbers with regular addition but instead of c we have infinity Hmm. and negative infinity so in other words the speed of light is algebraically playing the exact same role as infinity does Mm -hmm. and that makes a lot of sense when you think about it because the speed of light is constant you know or invariant among reference frames you can think of it as you know, no matter how much you change your direction or your speed, it, you're still going to measure the same. That, mm-hmm. that has like an infinite nature to it, you mm-hmm. know? So algebraically, it's, it's behaving exactly like infinity does. Yeah, yeah. It's like those groups are the same. Yeah,
1: that, that makes sense. Like as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And the way that I saw it in my head is, you know, if you're, if you're in your own reference frame, it's kind of like reaching the speed of light is infinitely that way and infinitely in all directions but then someone can whiz by you and be going at it at a constant speed and then in their frame it's still on the horizon everywhere that you'll never actually be able to reach it just like right yeah
2: yeah, if you think of shooting a photon out and you're like okay i'm gonna catch up to it (laughs) none your speed does not matter it's it's always traveling c faster than you Mm-hmm. right so so it's kind of like that it, it's playing an algebraic role of infinity
0: also like that so, infinity is directly related to like the you know the dilated time because as you go closer to see your dilated time approaches infinity so like that's also a way to kind of connect the two dots i guess the yes. negative c doesn't really apply here because i guess negative speed doesn't really doesn't really work with the whole time argument but right just going positive yeah, it's scene. just
2: representing the other direction, but maybe y'all can confirm this. So I think Andrew Dotson told me this that that if you substitute infinity into wait, how did he say this? Like something like if you if you substitute infinity into like Newtonian transformations, you recover the Lorentz transformation I'm probably saying that completely wrong, but basically, like the the relation between the 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 Lorentz transform and like a Newtonian man. Transform is that C is playing the role of infinity, and so you can recover. I'm gonna have to look back at what he said so I can relay the yeah, message more clearly. I've clearer. never heard that, uh, or maybe I haven't just forgot. But it's like the speed of light is not infinite, but algebraically, hmm. it, it's it's
0: infinite in the algebraic way. Yeah, doing something with the because because Newtonian doesn't recognize the whole C thing, right? It it says okay, you can go hover however fast. Right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think limiting newton to c might produce that is maybe what yeah yeah i think that's right i I
2: think it's something like that like if you have the newtonian stuff um yeah if you if you think if you you let infinity play it's it's behaving like c does for the for the you know Mm yeah the equations when you take relativity yeah yeah when you take relativity Mm -hmm. into account
0: I think I, th- I mean that that, that kind of does make sense. That kind of would make sense again. Not that we know how to do it mathematically <laughs> speaking. But... I could
2: be completely wrong about what I just said. <laughs> no, but it's so wrong from sense, memory. it kind of
0: makes Totally, because uh, because I know for a fact that Lorentzian can be converted to Newtonian, right? Assuming the whole seat th- because for for low speeds, totally easily, right? right? That's the whole point yeah. of it. It has to, but at the at the high speed limit, I'm assuming there is some mathematical way to do it, and assuming I mean Andrew probably knows of some way like that so there might be some knowledge there that's might, maybe restricting parker and i at least and temporarily for, sure from for figuring bit. it out
1: but soon soon 100 percent, soon um so yeah the i would love for you to come back onto the podcast another time talk about more uh interesting advanced math mm. topics because uh,
0: usually our first episode is like more sorry to cut you off Parker. i yeah. know you but like usually our first episode is more like you know getting to know you and like, we kind of spoke about that a little bit and like understanding your experience. And then if we were to ever hopefully, you know, have another one on where we can get you, then hopefully, you know, we get more into the actual
2: math, yeah, <laughs> math of it yeah, all. Yeah. You know, like... Personally, I'm not very interesting, but I, I, I like to talk about a lot of interesting things.
0: <laughs> well, of course, of course. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're here
1: for, right? Now. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Awesome. So, so yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Once Absolutely. again, thank you for having. It, me. it was an awesome episode, awesome discussion about group theory. Um yeah, this has been episode number 68 of the Math and Physics podcast. Yes. Make sure to uh, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, come and like the video and do all that kind of stuff. Let us know if you have any questions kind of on Instagram at yes. math.physics.podcast. Um Make sure to check out Epic Math Times YouTube channel. It will be linked in the description as well as uh, some of his videos that we talked about during the podcast. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Episode number 68. Thanks for listening. I am your host, Parker.
0: And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, guys.